Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. I think one day the world will be shocked to see Jesus come again as a triumphant king to reign forever. I mean, I really believe they'll be shocked. Okay, This coming is going to be a little bit different than his first coming. If you recall, Jesus is not going to come as a helpless child, but in his second coming, he's going to be warrior king. You understand that. You go, yeah, Pastor, I, I get it. Well, chapter 19, if you're taking note, is the ultimate revelation of Jesus. Jesus is revealed to the earth from heaven. Now, much of the world is familiar with Jesus when he came the first time. As a matter of fact, that's what we're about to celebrate here in just a couple of months. Okay? It's the Christmas season. This is where Jesus came. But let's be honest, there's a lot of people who don't know about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming. They're a little bit confused, okay? No, and, and again, we need to understand the world actually doesn't like Jesus of the second coming. Like, please understand, there he was as a little baby. We can all handle that. We can handle that and go, oh, Jesus, me can, look at him. He's so cute. He's just, little. and then, and then we get presents and we all eat and then it's a wonderful time. But the second coming is so different. It's so different. Why? Well, he won't be manageable infant. Instead, he comes to manage. What's he going to do? He's going to demand honor and submission. All accounts will be settled on the earth when he comes again. The righteous will be rewarded and the wicked will be judged. Now, remember what we talked about last week. It was the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we tied it in beautifully to the Jewish wedding on how each part paralleled our wedding with Christ. That's what we talked about. Now, if you weren't here or you weren't able to, you need to get it on podcast. I don't have time to go through because it was so intense. But I'll tell you this, it's going to be an awesome time what we're going to be doing in heaven the seven years prior to the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Can you imagine Jesus Christ serving us for seven years? You remember the groom would go in and serve his bride. Nobody saw the bride, but the groom would come out. He'd get goodies. He'd get cupcakes. He'd get grapes. He'd get all, and he'd go back into his bride, and he'd go on the bride, and he would serve her. That's what the Lord's going to be doing prior to the final marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, here, here in the second half of chapter 19, we're coming to the main event. Okay, this is the final showdown. You go, what is it? If you're taking note and you're not afraid to write in your Bibles, this is the battle of Armageddon. This is what all the hubbub is about. This is what the movies are best, the Battle of Armageddon, but it really is. And now we have seen the buildup concerning this showdown. You go, well, how so, Pastor? 
Well, remember, he mentions it a little bit in chapter 14. He mentions it more in 16 and 17. As a matter of fact, we have seen how Satan has influenced the crowd. The world, basically the inhabitants of the earth, and he's going to persuade them through worship to join this battle against God. Now, if we're being honest, a few years ago, we would probably try to figure out, how is this all going to go down? How are people, people are not just going to go up and worship Satan. They're just not going to, they're just not going to buy into whatever anybody is saying. And I'm thinking, wow, how things have changed. I was telling a friend of mine yesterday, I was telling him, um, as a matter of fact, no, I was telling a friend of mine this morning as we were out for a walk, I was telling him, I said, you know, I read the Bible and I can see what's happening in the world, and it still shocks me, although I know this is how God has to do it. You understand that, right? Okay, so yesterday I was in the bank. I went to the bank, had to take care of some bank business. And a gentleman walks in the bank, and he says, hey, what, what's this thing with the IRS and the $600? And the, and the bank branch manager said, well, no, this is what they're trying to pass, that any transaction over $600, the bank has to report to the IRS, so in other words, if you get a check for $601 and you go to your bank, I don't care if it's a paycheck or it's your retirement, you go to the bank and you put it in your account like you normally do, they now have to report it to the IRS. And the IRS is going to make sure that the, the money that you moved around is going to match up with your t- You understand what's going on, right? And so the, the, the banker goes, That's going to kill the banking industry because people are going to take their money out right away. Now, I chuckled because I said, you don't have the money in the bank. (laughs) If every one of us went to the bank to take out our money, they don't have money. You understand that. It's digital. And so you see what's going to happen. The banking is going to collapse. They're going to say, Rosa, I'm sorry. We'll get you your money as soon as we can, but... Uh, ben got here first, and so we have to give him his. And then, and then, so it's going to collapse everything, which sets us up for what? A one-world currency, a digital currency, for someone to swoop in and go, "Hey," which is part of the Antichrist government. You guys see that? Now, to you and I, a year ago. We didn't know anything about, no, nobody was, was messing with our cash, kind of, you know. I mean, we were, we were trucking along. We were worried about a pandemic, understandably. But now we have all of these things that we've studied. What are they? Politics, religion, and money. I don't know if you guys know this, but right now there are 61 ships waiting to bring supplies to to the United, bring st- things that they're not allowing. And, and this is why there's a shortage of all kinds of stuff in your grocery stores. We're in a famine. You know what? Now, for three weeks, I've gone to a certain grocery store that doesn't have Lunchables. Where's my Lunchables? Are they out in a ship? Anyway, I digress. Nonetheless, but you understand where we're going, right? We're reading this. And I'm saying, we're reading this, guys. But the question is, 
Guys, the question is, is how in the world is Satan going to influence people to join a battle against God? Well, you remember, what does the mark do? The mark pledges allegiance and worship to the beast. That's what the mark does. Well, Pastor, is the vaccine the mark? No, the vaccine's not the mark. This is going to be... Now, the word causes is a word where it means you're not going to have a choice. And you go, well, Ben, I see that. There's people that are not going to have a choice. It's crazy. But the difference is, is there's going to be allegiance and worship to the beast. And once you cross that threshold, guys... These are the same people that are going to fight against God. So how in the world, why would people gather to fight against a powerful God? And that's a great question. Now, because of everything that we had to cover, I couldn't cover verses 17 through 21. So just note that we'll talk about that next week. This is how it's all going to go down. Okay, This is how why people would do this. But what we would realize is that everything we've read and studied up to this point has been leading up to this final event, this final showdown, okay? Now, do you recall what I've said in times past? This is what we're going to find. In this battle of Armageddon, this is going to be a very, very quick battle. You understand that, right? I call it the DBD. You go, wow, what's that? What is that theological? No, it's more like ding, boom, done. That's all it is. The bell's gonna go off, ding, done. That's how fast the battle's gonna be. You don't mess with an all-powerful God. And yet there are going to be people there ready to fight. So with that as our intro, guys, let's pick up our study in verse 11. Revelation 19.11 says this, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Guys, this is so important. John begins giving a description of Admiral Jesus and who is with him when he comes to this battle. As John gives an incredible description of the Lord, we have to note several things. You go, like what? Well, if you're taking note, in verse 11, the king is characterized. You can see that. The king is characterized. First, that he's coming and he's riding on a white horse. Remember Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. The tribulation begins with the Antichrist on a white horse. We saw the Antichrist try to imitate the Lord Jesus and the terrible world events which accompany the other three writers imply, if you will, this is not the Lord Jesus, but rather the Antichrist. Now, from chapter 6, verse 2, let's consider the contrast how John is used to seeing Jesus. Think about it for just a moment. When Christ was on the earth, John followed him for three years. 
if anybody saw John see Jesus, uh, if anybody saw Jesus up close, it was John, was it not? John was always so close to the Lord that it was like he kept laying his head on the bosom of Jesus. He just, just had a heart for the Lord, and he would see the eyes. I think about that. As John was watching them, you got to remember, they walked everywhere they went, right? Once on a donkey. But he sees something a little bit different. He says, Jesus, he's riding a white horse. He's riding a white horse. That's different. You, you, you see, Linda, when, when we were on earth, we walked everywhere. We didn't have, we didn't have any transportation. We, we walked. One time he was on a donkey, but, but that's a, now he's on a white horse. He's on a white horse. He's on a white horse. Now, John's heart is skipping a beat, and I'll tell you why. Because of the significance of the horse. You go, what do do you mean? Okay, if you're taking note, please understand that a horse was a symbol of wealth. To have a horse was a symbol of wealth. And those who were really wealthy would travel by horse in those days. Who? Well, the kings, the princesses, all of those were very wealthy. Now, remember that the Bible talks about making straight the way of the Lord. And that term is to be used to a clear path of a king or a prince when he came down the road. If you recall, John the baptizer in Matthew 3 verse 3 says this, For this was spoken to him by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's what they did. Whenever a king, Rosa, was riding on the horse, the preparer would go and they would take the big rocks out of the way and make sure that it was a smooth ride. Or else, the horse would, we couldn't do this, this is a, this is a king. This is a king. So Jesus, being the king of kings and the prince of peace, you could tell, it's a horse, it's a horse, it's a sign of wealth. Well, that's contrast that a little bit to when he came the first time. Well, he came in a stable. He came in a, in a barn. He came where the animals stayed. Not anymore. This is our king of kings. But notice also too, guys, notice that it's um, also a symbol of honor, of honor. So you have, you have wealth and you have honor, but it was also a symbol of power. How so? To the Jewish people, the employment of a horse in warfare was unusual. What does it mean? It indicated a great force, a great army. Jesus comes back, whoa, John says, as the all-powerful one. And no one can stand against him. You understand why John is super excited about the horse. Jesus is on a horse. He's on a horse. Notice also in our text that he comes, just not on a horse, but he comes on a white horse. A white horse. What's the significance of that? Well, jot this down. Why? Because it speaks of victory. Victory. And listen, this is key. Why? When a Roman general would return from the battle, guys, where he had been victorious, he would ride on a white horse. 
You understand that, right? So what would happen is he would have the captives of that battle in tow behind him. So if he came back, here he comes in a white horse, and he'd have all the people that he captured behind him. Okay? And so you go, wow, okay. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now, we're the captive. We, we're, we're the captive. Why? Why are we behind him? Well, because, because of our sin. And he came to break that yoke of captivity and set us free. Revelation 1 verse 5 says this, And he washed us from our sins by his own blood. Can I get an amen? What does it mean? It means he set us free from the shackles of sin. That's worth taking notes. So you see, here is Jesus, he's returning, and he's riding on a white horse. Picture it in your mind. Why? Because he is the victorious one. He's the victorious one. But a, but a horse also stood for swiftness. Swiftness. It wasn't a donkey. Can you imagine riding the donkey? Now, we've been to Israel, Mary, where, where, where he was riding, and it's a very, you'd have to ride a donkey, but it's, it's very steep. But it's very slow, too. On a little donkey 2,000 years ago, right? Christ rode into Jerusalem, but now it's a horse. Because when he conquers, listen to me, jot this down in your Bible, it's going to be very quick. It's not going to be a, a, a drawn, I mean, can you imagine people on the news, in the media? Oh, it sounds like there's a, there's a battle getting in the Valley of Megiddo. There's some sort of war going on. We're not sure, but done. Well, that was, uh, well, we don't want... So here's what we have with Jesus. You ready? We have wealth, amen, honor, power, victory, and swiftness. And he comes riding on a white horse. But the second thing we know, just from that verse, is the Bible says that he is what? Notice, he is called faithful and true. Now remember what we have noted in our past studies. You go, what's that, Ben? How those in heaven who encounter the Lord, listen to me, never question what he does. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. If you remember those in heaven, tribulation saints, they don't question what he's doing. You go, okay, I think I, 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 think I get that. Everyone in heaven who encounter the Lord... They don't question his motives or what he does. Now, let's be honest. You and I might do that down here, don't we? Because we don't understand. Oh, I'm not sure, God. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know what God is doing. I don't, I don't fully. And we question what he does when he does it at certain times. Come on, guys. You're looking at me like you don't believe me. But you can't tell me that you were praying for a certain situation in these past 18 months that you were hoping that we would win and we didn't. And you often quote, I don't understand. I don't know what God is doing. But in heaven, they don't. Why? Because a heavenly perspective is different. 
a heavenly perspective is then they see all that the Lord is doing, and this is their response. True and righteous are your judgments, Lord. Just and true are your ways. Lord, you are faithful in all you do. Church, listen to me. Listen to me. Search your heart for just a moment. Why? Because the way they respond tells me more heavenly-minded I become, the more closer to Jesus I get, the more time I spend in his presence. Come on, somebody. You know what the result will be? The less I will prone to question his decisions or who he is. You, you said a lot of words. What do you mean? The closer I walk to Jesus, the closer I'm a lot less to question what he's doing. Even if I don't understand it. You see, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. Now listen to me. In these last days, we have to have the right glasses on. What do you mean? We have to have our Jesus glasses on, guys. What does that mean? Tomorrow, when you go to work and you're stressed out about whatever the boss is telling you to do or not do, or whatever this is going on in your life or whatever, the perspective is the closer I want to walk to Jesus, the more I just trust you, Lord. You're coming back for me soon. You're coming back for me soon. Well, Pastor, what if Jesus, let me, what if Jesus doesn't come back for us for another 10 years? I still want to walk closer to Jesus, don't you? I still want to feel his breath on my cheek. I just want to know God. That's really the key of Christianity. I want, I want to know him and I want to honor him all the days of my life. That's real, that's the key to Christianity. This is where we should be. Listen. The more mature a person becomes in the Lord, listen to me, the less they question God. Let me say that again. The more mature a person becomes in the Lord, the less they question God. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they understand more. Oh, well, you don't understand. But here's what happens. When you get closer to Jesus and you start to grow in him, you've come to believe that whatever the Lord does in your life, whatever he chooses for them, is righteous and true. It's right on. It's good because he is faithful and true. Here's what you guys need to understand. Here's what I need to understand. In my God, there is no darkness at all. There's no darkness. So he doesn't think like a man. Right? Whenever we're in a situation, we're always looking for the angle. What is your angle? What you're doing? I was listening to Pastor Chuck today on the radio, and Pastor Chuck has gone to be with the Lord several years now, but he was, he was teaching that he loves the Jewish people. And the more he loved the Jewish people, he, he would give, he would give millions of dollars to Israel, millions of dollars to Israel. And he said that he, he said the more he loved them, the more they were um, skeptical of him. Why do you love us? Why? Are, and, 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 and I understand that. And I, and I was listening to Chuck and going, yeah, Chuck. That's not God. You see, in God, there is no darkness. 
The Jewish people were looking, why do you love us? What's going on? What's your angle? What do you want from us? But that's not God. And whatever happens in our lives, even there are things that we don't understand. Can we agree there are things that we don't understand in this world? And God is in control, and we go, I don't understand why. I don't know why they took this. I don't know why this person had to die. I don't understand why this happens. I don't understand. I think about my friend. I think about my friend P. And his daughter is, is, is older. She may be as old as my daughter's. He has two of them, just like me. And they're going through what most parents never want to go through, the death of a child. I want to be at the place, guys, in my walk with God that I, that I fully trust the sovereignty of the Lord and not look at it like, oh, okay, well, that's going to happen to me, or that's going to be, what happens if that happens to me? Or, and, and we start to question who God is in our own lives. But the only way that we can trust God, the only way is to realize that he's good. That's the first thing, that he, in him is no darkness. Are you guys with me? But the second thing you guys need to realize here tonight is that you are not going to die one day before Jesus says, and you're not going to die one day after. He says, you have, all of us have a clock. We all have a clock, and one day he's going to say, you're done. Come home. If it's COVID, if it's cancer, if it's a car wreck, I don't know what it might be. But I'm not going to go one day one day before I'm supposed to. And we can rest in that, guys. But death to the believer should not be an, should not be an issue. Death to the believer should be like, hey, I just, <laughs> I didn't die. I just moved. And I'm going to be with the Lord forever. And he's got some great things planned. He's got some great things planned. And I wish I could develop that more, but we'll be here all night if... We don't, but just remember, guys, just remember. Remember this. Let's apply it to our lives. I want you to think about this past year, okay? Think about this past year. Think about this past decade. Hasn't the Lord been faithful and true in your life personally? He's the ultimate faithful friend. And he, well, let me ask you this. Has he ever deceived you? No. Has he ever forgotten you? No. Has he ever failed you? The answer is no. Now, listen. Some of you have gone through some heavy trials. I understand that. Some of you have gone through some really deaths, death of loved ones. A husband, a wife, financial loss, trials with kids. But in the midst of those heavy trials... Or where the thought might come to our minds, God has left me, man. He's abandoned me. But as soon as we come out on the other side of the storm, you guys know what I'm talking about? It's not long before we see that he was with us all the time. He was working. He was moving. He was taking care of us. That's what we need to hold on to.
I understand that there's going to be storms. I get it. There's going to be storms. Here's what I would love to see our body do. When there's storms, I would love to see our bodies come along, alongside each other and just walk through people in the storms. And there are times that you can't do anything but just hold, hold a friend's hand in the storm. You can't. You know what? I'm here. And there's a lot of times that the best way we can minister to people is not say a thing. Just hold their hand and say, I am here. I'm here. There are going to be storms I would love to see our body minister. There's going to be, there's going to be local storms in our city. And I'm not talking about rainstorm. I'm talking about storms of spiritual. We have to be ready to minister. Guys, just like we're about to minister in a few weeks, I don't know what God is going to do, but he's involved us. So let's go minister. Let's show up and say, I'm here. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And let the Spirit lead us. What stresses us out is we go, well, we have to have everything perfect. No, you know what we have to do? We just have to show up. We just have to show up and go, okay, I'm here. I'm here. And maybe God has already ordained a specific person for you to talk to and to share your, your testimony, to share how God is going to do incredible things. In verse 12, back in our text, it says, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were, what? Many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. What a contrast, is that not? John was used to seeing... When he looked into the eyes of Jesus, what was he used to seeing? I mean, think about it. John had uh, seen his eyes, seen the Lord's eyes filled with tears. I mean, wept over Jerusalem. I mean, John was there when he, when he was weeping for Lazarus. John saw the gleam in his eye. When he beheld the faith of the centurion we talked about on Sunday, John saw the eyes of compassion and mercy and love. Saw when the leper came and, and everybody was like, no, get away, awful. The Lord Jesus is like. But he sees a different set of eyes now, does he not? He's looking and he goes, oh, and he's writing down, his eyes are on fire. On fire. Why is that important? Well, if you're taking note, remember, fire speaks of judgment. His eyes are piercing and penetrating. And this is just a side note, guys, as we're studying his eyes. This is just a side note, okay? Listen, 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 listen. Those same eyes that are full of compassion, those same eyes that are full of mercy and grace, those same eyes that are full of fire, let's remember they're not going to wink at our sin. Those same eyes are not going to wink and go, hey, I've had so many people throughout the years come to me and go, Pastor, me and God have it worked out. We have our own special relationship. Really? They've told me this. Really? You, yeah, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm special, and God's just, uh, this just a, you know what they say? It's just a little sin. 
It's just a little sin. God's not going to send me to hell for just a little. Me and God have it. And I'm like, but, but here's what I know. Sin separates us from him. It does. To the Lord, guys, sin is sin. There's no, there's no big or small. It's sin. And the only way to get rid of sin is to confess it and to repent and to turn the other way. Turn the other way. So we're told that his eyes are what? An eyes were as of fire. That speaks of judgment. Hebrews 4 and 13 says this. Jot this down. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. That's what Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says, there's nothing hidden, guys. There's nothing hidden. Now sleep good. (laughs) You're like, no, no, why? Oh, man. I don't, I don't want to give an account. I want to give it to Jesus. Exodus 24 and 17 says this, The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop in the eyes of the children of Israel. They're like, whoa, this is heavy. Hebrews 29, or 12 and 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. This is a very radical description of the Lord. But listen, you know the Lord, listen to me, he doesn't want to burn you up. He doesn't desire to toast us. When John sees those eyes, what does he wants to do? Here's what I believe he wants to do. You ready? He wants to consume you so that your life will burn bright for him. Our biggest struggles, come on church, our biggest struggles in life is when we're not consumed with Jesus, but we're consumed with ourselves. If we were to, and I don't like to use the term fall in love, Jesus is not our boyfriend, you understand that, or our girlfriend, but when we were to be consumed with love for God, then I, I, I burn bright for him. Yeah, I went to Calvary Chapel. You know what they said? They said to, to what? To be, to be consumed in the Lord. What does that mean? To be absorbed by him. Every part of your life burning bright. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What is it that keeps us from being consumed with God in every aspect of our life? It's pride. It's pride. And pride, I don't want that. And we have to fight it every day. My Jesus, guys, wants to consume you so that you'll burn bright for him. Well, it goes on. John says, man, notice, notice. But, but I noticed not only the eyes, but I noticed the crown. Do you guys see that? He says, I noticed the crowns. What does that mean? Well, the only time John saw Jesus wearing a crown, which was it, guys? It was a crown of thorns. That's the only time, except right here. So you understand. You understand. He's writing this down, and part of it is like this, Linda, because he's going, I saw his eyes. I saw he had crowns. 
But the last time I saw Jesus, he had a crown of thorns and blood was dripping because, because the thorns were so, so, so long and, and they pierced his head and, and there was blood everywhere. Because the Romans, they went and they crushed it upon his head. But not today. I see Jesus and there he is and he's wearing many crowns. Why many? Well, many speaks of the kind as well as the amount. Many crowns show us that Jesus is the only ruler. Now, why do I say that? Because remember in chapter 12, Satan actually has, what, seven crowns. In chapter 10, the Antichrist has ten crowns. But right here, what what does John say? He's wearing all the crowns. He's wearing all the crowns. You see, the Bible's going to tell us one day, Bobby, that, the, that, that every tongue is going to what? Every knee's going to bow and every tongue going to confess. He is, he is the ruler. And the point is, is that you and I have chose to do it now. He's, he's our everything. He's our everything. Listen, Jesus is just not some religious arti- artifact or some religious person that we sort of help us in our, he's our everything. And we need to be consumed by the Lord Jesus. And as okay, this is amazing. This is good. He's the ultimate ruler. But let's talk about crowns. Why? Because when, when, when we talk about crowns, here's what I want to ask you. Can I ask you a serious question? You go, Ben, go ahead. What about the crown? What about our crown? You go, what crown? What about the crown of our life? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. In the throne of our heart should sit Jesus. Amen? In the throne of our heart, the Lord Jesus should sit. But let me ask you this. Does he have the crown of our life? Some people within and out of the body of Christ are not giving him the crown. But here's what they're doing. They're trying to negotiate with Jesus. You go, like what? Well, they'll come and they'll say, Lord, I'll tell you what. You tell me your plan for my life, and if I like it, then I'll follow you. But Jesus doesn't negotiate, does it? Does he? He doesn't negotiate. Before church, Sarah's kids had candy for sale. And I did my very best to negotiate more candy for less money. And Gabriel and all of them came up to me and said, and absolutely, positively, no way, no how, they're a dollar each. You can't negotiate. They were a dollar. That's the same thing with Jesus. He doesn't negotiate. But here's the question. Does he have the crown of your life? You go, what does that mean? A lot of people have made Jesus Savior. Save me, Lord. But has, have you really made him Lord? Like, has he, does he have every part of you? Like what? Well, does he have your thoughts? Does, does the Holy Spirit guide you in your decisions every day? Does, do you see how he's working in your life in certain situations? Sometimes, how many times of us have we ever been frustrated to do something that we didn't want to do only to find out God was already working because there was somebody here that we needed to speak to or talk to or to encourage or minister? 
we do that, don't we? Oh, I can't believe this. I just, oh, I'm going out of my way. I cannot. Oh, I'm going to put me 45. Oh, hi. And God uses you. Let me give you an example. Got a friend that I work out with, right? Got a friend that I work out with, and, and he's, a, he's a young kid, and, and, and I like him. And he tells me, I'm doing this new challenge. We're going to walk for 45 minutes. First of all, we're going to do our workout. Then we're going to walk outside for 45 minutes. Now, I'm not opposed to walking, but you know what? After working out 45 minutes, I don't want to walk outside. If we're going to do anything, let's run. Let's go for a jog. I don't want to walk. So I'm like, oh, I can't believe that. I was telling me what to do. You know, and, and, and bantering back and forth. You guys with me? I don't want to walk for 45 minutes. Pastor, you should. Hey, leave that to yourself. Okay, so hold on. For 45 minutes, we're walking, and I'm able to talk to him more about the Bible. And you know when I go, Lord, you're so good. It was his idea. Okay, so what about the, and yeah, well, yeah. Okay, so when you're lifting weights, we all have our headphones on, and we're not talking. I'm walking and talking with him. Is that God or what? You see what I, you see my point. And I have no idea where we are here, but other than that, but does he have the crown of your heart? Is he Lord? Is he every part of that? Verse 13, and he was clothed, notice, with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, this trips me out. Why? Because because this is what John says. Here, here's the risen Lord. Here is the Lord on the second coming, and he says, but I noticed his robe. It was dripped in blood. What does it mean? I can only give you two schools of thought. Okay, let me tell you what they are, and then you can decide. Um, first school of thought is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, John saw one thing more, namely the vesture was dipped in blood. This is the grandest thought about our master that whenever, wherever he may be that he is ever a red man wearing a bloody garment. As the atoning sacrifice, he is at his best. We love him as we see him, the white lily of this perfect nature, but the rose of Sharon is the flower for us, for he is the sweet perfume, breathes life into our fainting souls. As the blood is the life of the body, so his blood is life to us. The life of the gospel, the life of our hopes, and how I delight to think that he rides the white horse he has never stripped off the bloody shirt in which won our redemption. So what Spurgeon says, school of thought, is that he's always going to wear this, the blood of redemption. We'll see him be like, that's the blood, that's the blood, the atoning blood. See, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9.22, according to the law, almost all things are purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So you have atoning and redemption. That's one school of thought. Let me give you the second school of thought, okay? According to Isaiah chapter 3, or 63, forgive me, this is the blood of his enemies. Isaiah 63, 1 through 4 says this. Who is this that comes from Edom with dyed garments of Bozrah? 
This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteous, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments are like the ones treads in the winepress? I have trodden, he says, from the winepress alone. From the peoples, no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained in all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. If you're taking note, this is the second school of thought, guys, because Basra is Moab, which is modern day Petra. Okay? Wine press basically stamps on grapes that juice would soak into the robe. Okay? So this is what he's saying. He's saying, according to verse 3, Jesus says, alone from the peoples, no one was with me. His enemies, notice before Armageddon, his enemies before Armageddon, you might be asking, why did you say that? Because in verse 14, it says, when he tramples the enemies of the earth, we are with him. And so he's saying right here, first school of thought, oh, when I see him, I remember. Second school of thought is that actually in Moab, that he's actually, there's enemies going to be, and he's going to trample them out before when we're not with him and his enemies in modern-day Petra. Where do you stand? I don't know. Probably maybe both. I don't know. I don't know. It goes on in verse 13. It says that there's a name that is revealed, the Word of God. That's his name. And we know that in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was what? With God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with him. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, here's what it comes down to. Jesus is... The Word made flesh. He has given us the written Word to reveal Himself to us. Real simple. You want to know Jesus? You go, yes, Pastor. Study His Word. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. Okay? Think about it. Do you guys remember back in the day? I remember this. I remember having a conversation with my dad, and he used to tell me, my great-grandpa used to say, those who used to read the Bible would go crazy. Anybody remember their, their, their grandparents saying that? Don't read the Bible. You go crazy. And so nobody would read the Bible. We, have, we left it up to the priest, and, and that's all we did. Okay, well, no, I don't, I don't. And of course, and they said, if you really want to go crazy, read Revelation. Well, of course, because it's symbolic and it's changing back and forth, and you need to understand that it's not chronological and all those things. But really, instead, reading the Word should make me crazy in love with Him. That's what it should do. Here's what the Word of God does to us, guys. You know, if you ever go, and I'm running out of time, but if you ever go to um, uh, all-you-can-eat restaurant, like it's a great all-you-can-eat what happens? You're going hungry and you live pretty full, right? You walk out and what do you say? I'm never eating again as long as I live. I am so full. That's not the Bible. The more you eat of the Word of God, the hungrier you get. You really do. It's like you start craving. Oh, I got to have Bob. What happens next, Pastor? Well, we have just a couple of verses. Let's look at verse 14. 
And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him in white horses. Who are those guys? Do you know who those? That That's us. Woohoo! I'm in the movie. Right? This is so cool. Remember, I told you that we're going to be raptured, but then we're coming back. We're coming back with him. Now, understand, we're not coming back to fight. Okay? But we're coming to simply observe the victory. Now, here's what I want Jesus to say to me. Okay? Here's what, this is my own personal thing. I want Jesus to say, you know, Ben, you need to get your own horse. Because I'm so close to the Lord, I don't want to let go. And when he comes back, I'm like, I'm holding on to you, Lord. He's like, dude, you need to get your own horse, okay? (laughs) Everybody has their own horse. No, Lord! I'm sure you're going to be the same way. Come on. Don't look at me that way. But you know what's going to happen. He's going to come back to the valley. It's going to happen. Boom. It's going to be, it's going to be done. Notice how we come back. Guys, we're riding on white horses, which speaks of what? Victory. Think about all that, man. Victory in him. And we're clothed in white linen, which speaks of our righteousness in him. Because he has robed us in his righteousness. In his righteousness. Wow. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress in the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Now think about what he just said. We know that this is speaking of the power of his word, but think about this. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. I think that would freak me out anyway. But I mean, think about it, man. And he's going to what? With it, he's going to strike the nations. And he himself will rule. Ephesians 6.17 says that the sword of the Spirit is what? Which is the word of God. Guys, we have that same sword. Uh, Hebrews 4 and 12 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. How powerful is the word of God? How powerful is the word of God? Wow. Think about this. I remember a guy, he asked Spurgeon one time, how do we defend the word? He says, Surgeon says, well, the word is like a lion. He says, you don't need to defend a lion. Just let it out of its cage and it'll do its thing. That's all we got to do, guys. But in order to let the lion out, we need to know it. We need to know it. And because it's a sword, guys, we talk about this in discipleship, it's important to memorize the word because we're going to need it. We don't just memorize, oh, I went to discipleship, I to memorize. No, we memorize it because it's a sword. Because I'm going, I'm going to need it. And he has on his robe, check this out, and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lord. That is incredible. That is incredible. But here's the thing, guys. Picture all this event. All the powers of man are gathered against him in Megiddo, and they want to destroy him at his coming. And the world comes together for its final showdown. And Jesus will speak, and the battle will be over. The battle will be over. 
So as we close, let me give you some points that we can learn, okay? We're going we're gonna to see next week how all this goes out. We're going to see verses 17 to 21. I don't have enough time because, look, I'm running out of time here. But let's talk about some, some stuff we can take home, okay? Keep in mind that chapter 19 is the main event. Knowing Jesus is the triumphant king will bring hope and peace in a world full of chaos. You guys know that, so you can go, okay, okay. Whatever political party you're at, whatever's happening, you know that it's, okay, okay, God is king. He's, he's coming back. Cool. Number two, um, do me a favor. Go back in your memories or go back in your journals and look at how faithful God has been to you. Go back and look at those things where you thought, man, there's no way out, and he showed himself faithful. You go, well, Ben, I don't have any. Well, let me just say this. If you've eaten today, He's been faithful to you. And if you have a home and a shower and towels and clothes, you're blessed. Number three, go ahead, Mel, come on up. Number three, make sure that Jesus has the crown of our lives. Make sure he has the crown of our lives. If he's sitting on the throne of our heart, does he have the crown? You go, Ben, what does that mean? Have you fully surrendered your life to him? Number four, good takeaway. You ready? You want to know Jesus? Study his word. Study his word. Study his word. Ask the Lord tonight, Lord, give me a greater hunger for your word. Give me a greater hunger. Lord, just something that I just can't satisfy. I've got to be in your word. I've got to hear teachings, and I've got to read it, and I've got to pray, and, and I just want a great. I just want to know you. Lord, if I were to see you tonight, I want to know you. Now, Mary, I know your word your word doesn't tell me what color your eyes were or anything, but I just want to know you that I, that I know you. I want to study your word. I want to know you, Jesus. Number five, realize, guys, take this home, that the word of the Lord is powerful. It doesn't return void. We need to realize it. We need to get it out there. We need to share it. We need to quote it. We need to proclaim it. And we need to memorize it. It's powerful. We need to stand like Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. That's what we need to be doing. Why? Rosa, your neighbor needs to hear it. Your coworkers need to hear it. He's the only hope. If people in this world think it's going to go back to normal, we're never going back to normal. If people in the world think, hey, if I just do this, things are going to go back, they're not. They're not. So our Jesus is the only hope. How so? Well, let's do this, guys. Let the word of God go out like a lion. Don't need to defend it. Just let it do its thing. Just let it do its thing. Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your grace. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.